Hazit. Man, it is good to be here. I, uh, that worship was incredible. It's helping me wake up. Um, in addition to several shots of espresso and wet biltong. The kind with the fat on it. Yeah. You guys do it better than anyone in the world. So, to all the Americans that are watching or listening, beef jerky's got nothing on what this country, there's an anointing, I just feel it right now. Biltong anointing. <clears throat> Man, I'm a little, uh, to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a little overwhelmed and, and just shocked at um, everything that God did last night. How many were able to join us in the field? Okay, so a good number of you. We, we had a, uh, a massive gathering last night, let us worship in, um, in the city, and uh, man, the altar call, the power of God, it was just, it was an incredible, phenomenal moment. Um, I have never seen an, an altar call uh, with so many drugs thrown on the stage from people getting free and delivered. <clears throat> and I feel like this morning, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna share and speak and prophesy and encourage you, but you know, I'm doing it on the heels of what I believe was a profound move of God that's just going to continue across this nation. That was just the beginning last night. You know, we were going to sleep, me and my wife, and, and not only were we celebrating, you know, our first ever gathering of that sort in, in the nations, but we were also celebrating our two-year anniversary of this movement. And we just so happened to be here with you guys um, to celebrate, so that was really special. And a little bit of background on me before we jump into the word I feel like the Lord has for you this morning. You know, I, my parents, um, I grew up as a missions kid. My parents were both full-time medical missionaries. And so from an early age, um, I went to the nations. And my, my parents' focus and specific heart was actually for persecuted nations closed nations to the gospel. And so um, we, I grew up smuggling Bibles into those countries, and, and my dad would host medical clinics, and that was his way of bringing people in that needed medical attention, but they would pray over each one of them, share the gospel to each one of them. And, um, and, and I began to take that legacy and heritage, and for about 20 years, that's primarily what I did. I went into war zones, you know, uh, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, North Korea, got the chance to go into North Korea, so Saudi Arabia, several, several, you know, probably four out of the five or maybe seven out of the 10 most closed countries on the earth uh, is where the Lord was sending us for 20 years. And I, I was also a worship leader and speaking and, and had a ministry, but really my focus was not my own nation, it was the nations of the world. Fast forward to 2020, right? Everything locks down, and here's the crazy thing. I was actually in South Africa February of 2020. And I was here with, with my pastor, Bill Johnson, and several others, and you know, rumblings of this virus were happening, and I remember sitting back there February of 2020, Thinking, I really think, you know, I'm an optimist, I'm a hopeful person, but I, there's something on this, and it's not the virus as much as it is the fear. 
I felt a spirit of fear that was going to grip the earth. Now, mind you, my parents and my family, they're all doctors and nurses, right? So I don't know what happened with me. (laughs) I I didn't, maybe I didn't have quite the (laughs) academia. (laughs) But um, so I, my, my heart isn't to, deny, isn't to deny the existence of a virus, but I want to put it in context because I think we miss some of the context. We're, we're dealing with a 99.98% survivable virus. These are stats. I don't mean that people haven't died from it or it hasn't affected. I know many people that have. But the point is this. The real virus was fear. You guys with me? The government sees on fear, the enemy seizes on fear, and the church was very handicapped in this season because of the fear. And so, anyway, fast forward, I'm in California, right? The most closed, locked down state in America. I'm like, God, why am I in this state? <laughs> like, seriously, like, why did you ever move me from Texas, Lord? Please, you know, <laughs> remind me. And so I'm in this state, things are locking down, things are getting crazy. We have a, we have a government that's bound in hypocrisy. They're, they're allowing strip clubs to be open, bars to be open. They're allowing marijuana dispensaries to be open, but they're pointing at the church as the problem. That was happening in my state, and I rose up and I'm like, listen, th- this should not be happening. Like, why, you're pointing at the church, like we're the issue here, but yet I can walk into Walmart or Costco with 2,000 people and be okay? The virus only gets people when you go to church. Funny. And so God began to stir a movement. And I'll tell you this. One of the reasons why I felt to come here is because in that season for me, the greatest source of encouragement was actually the nations. Pastors, underground church leaders from India, from Afghanistan, from China, from all these places I've invested so much time into started sending me messages on what's up and, and, and saying, hey, We see it's crazy in California. What are you going to do about it? (laughs) They were provoking me, trolling me. We see that all the churches are closed and the governor told you you can't sing in church anymore. What do you think you're going to do, Sean? (laughs) You've been with us in Riyadh, worshiping with thousands of underground Saudi believers. You've been with us in Erbil in northern Iraq. You've been with us in Kabul, Afghanistan. You know what you're called to do. And so in 2020, I felt like I was taking notes from all of my years with the underground persecuted church. Here we are going to these nations. Now, keep in mind this. We're going to these nations supported by American donors and other people around the world with the goal of breaking the law for Jesus. Right? All these countries, it's illegal to worship in. It's illegal to preach in. It's illegal to evangelize. It's illegal to pass out Bibles. Now I'm in my own country, breaking the law in my own nation, (laughs) struggling to find support. (laughs) Right? But God began to move. And I'll tell you this. This is is the crux of what I want to share with you guys. This is the season where worship is your weapon. Turn to someone. I want you to turn to someone and say, worship is your weapon. There's a reason why the enemy wanted to silence the church. 
Don't you understand the demonic agenda? Don't you understand the purpose behind silencing the church? Worship is powerful, and I feel like we're moving into a season in a post-COVID world where we have to understand the power and the authority of our praise. No more entertainment. Church of, of entertainment, it's done. Church of religion, it's done. We're not here to have three fast and three slow songs to make us feel good for the preaching. No, no, no. Worship is the authority that brings the breakthrough on our lives, our communities, our cities. And so God begins sending us into the darkest cities in America. I mean, places that nobody wanted to go, places of rioting, places of strife, places of crime, places where it's like eh, Americans every night were seeing these pictures of cities burning and rioting and God would be like, that's where you're called to go. I remember I would organize these gatherings across America and <laughs> I got a lot of interesting feedback. Um, pastors would write me in. They would write me these messages and they would say, how dare you invite our congregation to worship in a dark part of our city? Be like, man, what is your theology? Like, don't you understand, like, the role of a believer, like, we don't shrink back when it gets difficult. We don't go hide in the suburbs when things get dark in the city. There's no, you know, one of my favorite things is if Jesus was here, he would wear a mask and isolate. I'm like, what kind of Jesus are y'all following? All I see in the Gospels is him invading dark places, walking into sick camps, bringing healing and hope and breakthrough. And in 2020, we had to make the decision, what kind of church were we gonna be? Are we more concerned about self-preservation or our own, you know, or what the government thinks about us or what people think about us? It's like this whole mindset of, if you love God and you love your neighbor, you're just gonna stay at home, watch a live stream with triple masks on, and you're gonna show your neighbor you love them by not interacting with them even though they're suicidal, they're depressed, they're isolated, they're lonely, they're confused. I'm telling you, last night, I want you to show a quick clip of this. Look at this altar call last night, right? Look at the power of what God did in this moment. Simple altar call. We probably had over a thousand people running down to give their life and get right with Jesus. Look at that, they kept coming. We didn't have a, an altar big enough. Lifting their hands up, giving their life, surrendering their heart back to Jesus again. Look at the, if you got the other video of the stage, drugs thrown all over the stage. I mean, you don't understand. This is one corner of the stage. Needles, drugs, cigarettes, things that are holding them in bondage, vapes. We don't understand how bound people are coming out of this season. Second Chronicles 20, this is for your church. 
you have this story about Jehoshaphat. And in, in verse two, it says, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So Jehoshaphat, the king, I think he became king at about 35, as a young king. He's God, I don't know what to do. I'm surrounded by this Midianite army. They're outnumbering us as far as the eye can see. What do we do? What do we do? He seeks the Lord, and it says, and in, in, he gives this address to the nation. And then in verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. Kind of a weird name. <clears throat> I have a weird last name. Not for you guys. You know how to pronounce it correctly, but Americans... You wouldn't believe the pronunciation on my last name. I can't even repeat. But I feel like the Lord has sent me here this morning on the heels of what we've experienced to be like a Jehaziel. It says that he reminded, it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benani, the son of Jehaziel, a descendant of Asaph. This is a Levite. And he stood in the assembly and he said this to the king, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing by the pass of Zis, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeru. You will not have to fight this battle. So Jehoshaphat's overwhelmed. He's a young king. He's like, I don't know what to do. All of a sudden, this random guy with a weird name shows up and says, don't worry about it. Burmakaplan. It's my favorite South African phrase. You know, I just want to say this. Y'all are such a resilient people. It's one of the reasons I love this nation. <laughs> I don't know what's happening with your power and load shedding and all this stuff. I've been here for a week. I don't know when to take a shower, when to charge my phone. I don't know what's happening. All I know is that when the light flicks on, I got to do everything I need to do. And there's no like method to the madness. Like it happens at different times all the time. Who's pulling the levers here? And yet you guys are so resilient. You smile through it. You laugh through it. You chew on meat through it. I mean, you are a resilient people. And I feel like that the Lord fashioned you that way simply to survive here. I mean, Americans would be done, man. We, we need consistency. We're too bougie. Like, we're not ready for this. 
But you guys, I mean, coming out of this season, coming out of an intense hour, coming out of a season of, of depression and hopelessness and isolation and lockdowns that didn't even make any sense. You know, it's okay as a Christian to go, that didn't make any sense. A few of you guys are with me. Like, do you, do you really think the government knows what it's doing? Okay. Do you really think science knows what it's doing? I mean, give me a break. And it's okay to say, that's really weird. And it's okay to actually allow you to be untethered from your confidence in those systems. That's part of what we need to learn because I'm telling you, again, I'm hopeful, I'm joyful, but that was just a dress rehearsal. You don't think that's gonna happen again? You don't think that they're gonna, I mean, it's like, <laughs> A lot of it is just waiting to see how people are gonna respond. Now, we're heading into a season where the darkness is gonna increase, but so is the glory. And, and, and we shouldn't be surprised by this. Please, understand, you should not be surprised by this. It's all written in the book. Darkness covers the face of the earth. Darkness is over the people, but the glory of the Lord arises on you. The prophet Joel says the great and terrible day of the Lord. Now, some people focus on the terrible day. I love the great. People say to me all the time because they know, you know, we've gone to 70 nations. We've traveled across America. We've seen, is the world getting darker? Is the world getting brighter? I tell people both. It's simultaneous. Darkness is increasing. The demonic is increasing, but the glory like we experienced last night, the glory of the Lord. And so in this, in this verse, he's, he, he's, he's speaking to Jehoshaphat and he's saying, hey, listen, there might be a different strategy in this season. And so Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, verse 18, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites, oh, here they are again, the musicians, the emotional musicians. <laughs> the creatives. They stood up and praised the Lord. Verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah, and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went at the head of the army. Now think about this. This is Jehoshaphat's grand strategy. Okay, where are the worship leaders? Where are the musicians? Okay, you go ahead of us like, imagine being like a worship leader for Jehoshaphat. You're like, you're like, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, you with the guitar, go in front of the army. Go out in front and just worship. Like, excuse me? Like, this is an army, like, with real weapons. Yeah, 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 I know, but, but just go in front of them. And, and lead the way and worship. And this is what I love about the instruction. It says, it says, Joseph had praise him for the splendor of his holiness. In other words, don't even focus on the enemy. 
Like, just close your eyes. You know, there's been times <laughs> where I've been leading worship, and one of them was, uh, was at, really at the height of ISIS. We were invited by the Kurdish Peshmerga troops, who are also Muslim, but they think that worship has these healing, they call it healing music. And so they invited us several times with our team to go and before they were about to do a counterattack against ISIS in northern Iraq, they wanted us to go and do healing music. And so I have pictures and videos of them escorting us to the front lines, literally to worship God. Like, they understand the value of worship and prayer more than most of the church does. And they're Muslims. And I remember one of the commanders came to me and said, why do you want to keep us doing this? He says, because every time you guys come and do your healing music, we win a battle. <laughs> and so Jehoshaphat is telling them, as you go forth, don't even focus on the enemy. Don't give attention to it. Don't think about the narratives of the media. Don't think about all the things. Just focus on the splendor of his holiness. That is the place of breakthrough. I remember growing up as a worship leader, I, 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 I loved intensity and I love playing the minor chords and I love warfare. And, and I, I thought as a young worship leader that the more... Uh, contorted, and let me just be blunt, the more that, that, that I looked like I was constipated in worship, <laughs> the more breakthrough is happening. <laughs> it's just like, ooh, he, it looks like really painful. There must be something happening. But then the Lord began to reveal to me that the power and the breakthrough came in adoration. The power and the breakthrough came in, and it says that he's, he's enthroned on the praises of his people. This is one of the reasons in America we're very intentional on this. We go every year to the capital of our nation, Washington, D.C. We go in front of the White House. We go in front of, and we lift up. We build a throne that's higher than what we see because the government is on his shoulders. And we establish a throne of praise. And so anyway, in verse 21, it says, it says, he pointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went ahead of the army, they said this, give thanks to the Lord, his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. All they had to do was praise. What has been attacked more in the last two years in our life? Praise. Close your mouth. Wear a mask. Get alone. Don't get together. Why? Because praise is powerful. The enemy knows if he can disconnect us, if he can get us isolated, if he can get us alone. And I'm just telling y'all one thing. I love online church, and I'm thankful that this we get to broadcast this across the world. I'm grateful for technology. Online church is not a substitute for this. It's not. This is why the Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, don't give up meeting together. 
We need to be connected. We need to be together. We need to be looking at each other's eyes, hearing each other's voices. There needs to be a connection and an energy that God brings when the saints gather together. One puts a thousand to flight, two puts 10,000. And I feel like even last night was just a prophetic picture of what's about to happen. The enemy overplayed his hand in this nation. And there's coming a season where God's going to kick the devil in the teeth. And we're going to see an outpouring of his spirit. And maybe it won't be contained in churches. You know, we have a phrase in America where we said, okay, you know, I'm, I was a worship leader at a mega church. We have the best sound in the world. We have the best flow in the world. We got the coolest band. We're so cool. Skinny jeans and guitars. We just look so cool. Then when everything shut down, we didn't have that, right? So we had to discover God. Bridges and beaches and parks. We had to go back, get raw again. We got too pretty. We got too polished. We got too performance oriented. We had to discover God again. And you know what? We said, okay, closing down our churches. The church has now left the building. Now we're going into the heart of Los Angeles. We're going into the heart of Chicago. We're going into the heart of New York City. We don't even want to go back to our churches. We want to take the city for Jesus. And there is a raw, unbridled, passionate worship movement that God is raising up in this nation and it's gonna dethrone powers and principalities. It's gonna break boxes of religion. It's gonna free people. It's gonna see the evangelization of a nation. People are gonna come to Jesus. They're gonna throw their drugs on the stage, their addictions on the stage. It's only just begun. Come on, it's only just begun. The espresso's kicking in. <laughs> okay, Matthew 16, I wanna land the plane here. I feel like this is so important. The post-COVID church looks a lot different. <laughs> Some of y'all ain't ready for it. The post-COVID church, we're, we're rowdy. I'm serious, across my nation in America, the churches with the fire on them are the ones that stood up, are the ones that gathered in tents, are the ones that make a plan. Despite everything, they found a way to be connected, to press in. The violent take it by force. This is not an hour where we sit back. This is not an hour where it's, well, we just need to be nice. Just need to be nice, it's so nice. Give everybody a hug. No, we need to see deliverance and breakthrough. We need to see bondages that are keeping people down set free. We're not playing games anymore. And I love in Matthew 16, Jesus makes this declaration and we're gonna make it today on behalf of this church and the church across this nation. Jesus shows up in the region of Caesarea Philippi. This is Matthew 16, verse 13. And he asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? 
They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. They're giving him the update on what the polling data shows. Well, Jesus, I don't know, we did some polls and this is what people think. Jesus says, well, what about you? It's amazing to me how much we care about our reputation. It's also amazing to me that we think it's our job to try to make the church look good. <laughs> this is so funny. Like, I remember going into this season in 2020 and we would get all these nasty articles written about us and, and, and you know, people would be like, you need to respond. You need to tell them your side of the story. New York Times. As if they want to hear that. CNN, MSNBC, giant mega corporations that already have an intentional bias against the church. And it's my job to try to convince them the church is awesome. You know what, when freedom came for me, when I was like, you know what, God, that's not my job. My job is to follow your voice and to follow your mandate. And sometimes you gotta block out the trolls and the naysayers. And I think we're coming out of a season where we've tried so hard to make sure everybody knows our intentions, everybody knows our heart, everybody knows. And it's like what it's done is it's handicapped us from following the mandate of God on our life. So Jesus is saying, well, what do you really think? I don't care about anyone else. What's your profession? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter goes, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. The angels are like, finally, he got it right. <laughs> oh, it's been hard work. <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build the coolest church with the most cool-looking worship leaders. It'll sound so much like a rock concert from U2. It's just gonna look just like the world and people will love it and smoke and lights. It's gonna be amazing. No, he doesn't say that. On this rock, I will build my church. That word church means ecclesia. Ruling body government. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. We have to understand our authority. I mean, too many people, man, like, that's what religion does to you, the monotony of, of, of church for years and years and years. You actually forget how powerful you are. This is a season in South Africa. We need every believer activated. We need every believer understanding their authority. And Jesus is telling Peter, listen, I'm building my church, the ruling body government, and I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He says, you have divine authority. This is not a sing-along show. What you pray and what you, pr what you declare and what you sing changes things. You're kind of a big deal. 
Turn to someone and say, you're kind of a big deal. When you are activated in your God-given potential, just like Peter, it's like what you bind will be bound. What you loose will be loosed. And I feel like we're, we're moving into a season where we understand that we have a divine authority from heaven to shut doors that no man can shut and to open doors that no man can open. How many of you know over this nation, we need to shut some doors in the spirit? Corruption, crime, poverty, hopelessness. How many know we need to open some doors in the spirit? Revival, awakening, salvation, breakthrough. Guess what? You got the keys, baby. I do, I do. Yes, you do. You're a big deal. You're a walking, breathing, like biltong eating breakthrough for your nation and we got to move out of this like man of God syndrome where we abdicate one person to do the work no no everyone needs to be activated it's going to take all of us to change the nation no one sitting on the sidelines nobody waiting for somebody else to do it for you now is the season to be activated Now is the season to rise up and become the church.